Hey, I'm Jonas, also called Tennis Nerd, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I speak to people working at the highest level of tennis, from players to coaches to trainers and more. This week, I'm running the yearly Functional Tennis Racket of the Year event, where our Instagram fans vote on their favorite racket. And I thought, no better expert to talk to this week than Jonas Eriksson, also known as the Tennis Nerd. He's the go-to man on all things rackets and strings. He's a popular YouTube channel and blog where he reviews all the latest rackets and strings and gives his highly experienced thoughts on them. Today, we chat about the event, all the rackets in the event, technologies they use, up-and-coming rackets, why some rackets aren't as popular as they should be, and which racket he thinks will be crowned the 2022 Functional Tennis Racket of the Year. If you want to check out the draw and vote, please head over to Functional Tennis Instagram stories and get voting. We also have the stories pinned to our profile page so you can look back and you can also look back on last year's event also. Finally, big shout out to the sponsor of the event, Tennis Warehouse Europe, who also sponsored the shoe of the year last month, which was won by the Asics Court FF2, a great shoe. Not my personal favorite, but a great shoe. And it's the one used by Novak Djokovic. They, Tennis Warehouse Europe, are going to be giving away the winning racket once we have a winner. So keep an eye out on our Instagram account if you'd like to enter. Okay, here's Jonas. Hi, Jonas. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks. Nice talking to you, Fabio. I have tennis later in the afternoon, so always makes me happy, right? That is great. You can't beat a bit of tennis. But I was looking back through the episodes and I was like, have I had you on this show before? And I haven't. I was like, God, for Jonas, you play such a pivotal role in the tennis world because you are Mr. Tennis Nerd, Mr. Racket Nerd, more specifically. I know you're branching out a little bit now, but you know everything about rackets. Uh, you're the go-to man. I know you get flooded with your hundreds of questions every week from people. And it's like, I can't believe I hadn't had you on. So yesterday I messaged Jonas, as I do all the time with any racket questions, and we launched our Functional Tennis Racket of the Year. It's our third year now, kindly sponsored by Tennis Warehouse Europe. And I just had some questions with some rackets. And the question was, what was the difference between Rafa's Pure Aero and Alcraz Pure Aero? They're both Pure Aeros. I thought they were the same, just different paint jobs. And I don't know. Let's not jump into that yet. Maybe just tell us quickly a bit about yourself and then we'll jump into that question and we'll go through all the rackets in the competition and you can give us your favourites, your thoughts on some of them and some questions I have. So yeah, maybe quickly tell us a bit about you, how you got into the racket industry and yeah, how life is. Yeah, um, no, it sounds fun. Uh, No, I got into, I mean, I played tennis since I was a kid. I did play a lot of other sports. So I I did quit for for a bunch of years. And when I came back into tennis, obviously tennis had changed a bit. It was maybe, you know, 10 years away from the sport. And I started like testing rackets to see what racket would work. And I really found that whole process very interesting. It was super fun, you know, testing different string setups, different tensions. And what how the racket affected your play. And that's kind of how I got into it. And I started documenting it a little bit on my website called tennisnerd.net. And it was just like a growing hobby. I thought I was the only guy uh, out there who wanted to test so many rackets. I just thought it was a fun thing. 
obviously I watched a bit of Tennis Warehouse and their videos. They were the, like the first reviewers and, and they still keep going and it's still pretty much the same team. So that that's that's interesting. And I just started writing about it, doing more and more tests. And the thing is, it, it can drive you a bit crazy because you can't you know play using different rackets all the time. It's not going to help your tennis. But I just found the whole process and everything so interesting. So I did study it quite a bit. They try hundreds of rackets and strings over the years. And then I, I started putting out some videos on YouTube and they're writing more about it on, on my website and Instagram and so on. And and it turns out that there's a huge interest around it. Like people are very curious about new gear, what the pros use. And I have a lot of friends on the tour and I help some ATP pros, WTA pros as well with their with their gear, whether it's just changing the string a bit or trying to get more spin or more pop on their shots. I, I tend to do that. And, uh, but I also help mainly recreational players, you know, so I, I have an online course for that. I also have a lot of content on the website and my YouTube channel. So um, the, the racket uh, interest is, is quite much more vast than I thought. I thought it would be more like, oh, I'm crazy. I'm just trying out all these rackets. But there are many like me out there, which is, which is fun. So I have a, a nice community now that I keep talking to almost on a daily basis, right? It's great to have that, you know, community and it's great to have the expert like you out there. But you're also working with Nikki from Unstrung Customs, who we've had on the podcast before on uh, a tennis instructional course uh, app, is it? Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're doing working on an app together uh, with more instructional content. I mean, Nikki's uh, used to be a pro and he's a very, very good player. He is a hitting partner of, of pros when they're in Marbella. You know, I, I used to hit with him a bit and he's very good at kind of like laying down foundations for certain strokes. And it's a talent to be able to partly hit the stroke, but also to be able to relay that information to other people. And I saw that in him and I thought, you know, and we get along really well. So I thought, why not try to do something together? I mean, we both kind of came up with the idea and uh, and now we're doing it. So we're, we're filming here like a few times every week. Uh, I'm in Spain at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's fun. We'll see where it goes, but but it's fun to do some more other types of content, not only racket stuff as well. Because my tennis interest is obviously not rackets. I love tennis from when I was a boy, so it's fun to do other things around tennis. Nice. And how is life in Spain, the south of Spain? Is it great weather good? Marbella, Marbella, yeah, in, in the south of Spain, Costa del Sol. No, the weather is a little bit gray, but generally it's always perfect. <laughs> so it's always very good for tennis. So many tennis players around here. There's ITF Masters Tournament, which was the old seniors tour that I'm trying to play on a bit. And I meet a lot of pe- people through that. Uh, so yeah, tennis life here is very good. Life in general, very good here. Uh, so I can recommend a visit if, if people are curious about tennis or just want to go to a nice place, maybe play some golf, eat some nice food, stuff like that. Yeah, I put up a question on our Instagram account last Sunday to say, I, I, was, I know I've talked to you about going down to Marbella for a while because I know there's a lot of clubs down there. And I was like, where should I check out? And the amount of response that came in, there's so many different clubs down there. It's absolutely crazy. So, you know, you won't be sure to find the court down there. No, exactly. So when you have a situation where you are, we want to play today, uh, you have quite a, a bunch of clubs because within driving distance of maybe 30 minutes, there's so many different courts to choose from, clay, hard court, whatever. So that makes uh, life easier for a tennis nerd. You can actually find a court there are no indoor courts, but uh, generally it doesn't rain. So uh, you can play outdoors all year round. Nice. Well, I look forward to hopefully December getting there. But let's jump in here. Let's get back to the question I had mm-hmm. from yesterday. You can explain to me and our listeners, Rafa's uh, Pure Aero and Alcaraz's Pure Aero. What's the difference between them two rackets? 
It's a good question, especially now because Babala, they updated the Pure Arrow, the original Pure Arrow, to a new design. And the cosmetic and the design is very, very similar to what Alcaraz uses. And I think that created more confusion for now because it, they look so similar on TV. I get that question all the time. Uh, so it's not a rare question. But the, the racket that is the kind of main seller for Babala and the one that Rafa endorses is the regular Pure Arrow. So it's just called Pure Arrow. It's a 100 square inch head size, 300 gram racket. Very versatile in terms that it is open for like a wide target group of players. You can be an intermediate player, but you can also be a very advanced player. But then you have the Pure Arrow VS. And the VS is a you know term that Babolat has used through the years, but they're now changing it to 98 for the next generation of this racket. And that's a racket that is a bit more demanding. It's 98 square inches and a 1620 string pattern. So you get a bit more control. You need to swing a bit faster to get some action on the ball. And that's what Alcaraz is doing and, and using. So this is his racket. Holger Rune is also using this frame, uh, the Arrow VS. And that's also become kind of like a, a big bestseller for Babola now because uh, you see it everywhere. And Alcaraz obviously is a great ambassador for this frame. Did Babla release that racket in pairs a few years ago where they were weight matched? Could be. I'm not yeah. 100% sure about that, but that, that sounds sensible. Yeah, it, it was, it's, uh, it's been out for a few years. They've always had, or they had the VS for a longer time, but I think this generation that was out in 2020 uh, is the one that's been doing the, the best in terms of sales and also gotten the most publicity thanks to, to Alcaraz, for example. Yeah, before Alcaraz was on the scene, it wasn't that popular. Well, did it launch really when he came on the scene, was it? Yeah, exactly. Where it's, it really became more popular. The the previous generations, you have guys like uh, Ojer Aliasim is using that one. Jack Sock, for example, using an older version. So there are pros that that like that racket, but it's been kind of in the in the shadows of the more popular models, which is like the tr- Pure Drive, the Bubble Up, the Pure Arrow, and the Pure Strike. So, but now this is becoming one of the most popular frames, and you, I see it also around here in Marbella, for example. And does anybody still use the original Pure Drive, which people absolutely love, don't they? Yeah, I think it's uh, some pros like Fabio Fognini. Uh, I think there may be a few other guys that like that first edition. The more back in the day, they didn't have all these dampening technology, and their frames were more raw. Even the one that Rafa uses is the first edition, the original Aero Pro Drive, and that had some more raw feel. You don't have that dampening. You just feel the ball 100%. Can be a little bit more jarring on the arm in some ways, but it's it's also a lot more feedback. So. Some players love that. Some players love a more dampened feel, but you still see the the first editions uh, around. So there are pros that play with rackets that were originally like made twenty years ago. It's crazy. And how do you deal with testing your rackets? And I want to ask you because I know a few years ago when we start getting rackets here, I start testing, playing around with them. I was never. We didn't ever get too many to start, but then they start rolling in. I start testing them. Picked up tennis elbow. You know, between testing strings and rackets. You're testing rackets all the time, testing strings. Do you get any arm troubles? Yeah, I sometimes over the years have had, not in recent, uh, the last two years, nothing. Uh, I think doing a lot of strength and conditioning in between helps. Uh, I use like this tool called the Flex Bar that I use quite a lot to strengthen forearm and stuff that can get stiff. I think that's when tennis elbow comes. Also understanding like, okay, you know, I shouldn't string this very stiff racket with a 
firm polyester at 55 pounds because that's going to bring about arm issues quite quickly. So it's a little bit finding the balance, going back to your original frame maybe, and and it's helped. But uh, you're not alone. There are a lot of uh, people who play test rackets that have some arm issues, you know, whether it's a wrist or or because your your body never gets used to a setup. You never have that kind of muscle memory. You have to always reset your your whole muscle memory, which is kind of tricky in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, no, good advice there. Get work on the strength and conditioning work. We put up the the first round yesterday of the racket of the year and the main guys, the blades, the pure strikes, the radicals, pure aero speed, they're all through to the next round. They were seated, but there was some slaughters there. I don't know, like the Dunlops got slaughtered by the E-Zone. Technifiber, yeah, the, the V-Core Pro took down the Technifiber, which I find surprising. Technifiber do such a great job. They're the world number one single, well, at the time, man with Medvedev, with ladies, doubles, but they just don't get the respect of our followers, of the tennis crowd, which is crazy. Selenko, I know they're new with their new whiteout and blackout rackets. Both those two rackets went down heavy. Yeah, and Prince also, who reintroduced some rackets. I know you've tested, you've some videos on the Prince's. Tennis Warehouse sent me the Prince's. I thought the tour was a beautiful racket, but these rackets just don't have any market penetration. And will they ever have any market penetration? I think, yeah, rackets are such a difficult thing to get into for any business. Like if you if you don't have a built-up brand where you have endorsed players, where I think the that's the main part of having racket success is to have players on the tours playing with these rackets, whether it's WTA or ATP, but you need some high-ranking players because otherwise you don't have that visibility. But even in the case, for example, of Technifiber, when you have Daniil and Iga, two world number ones, not currently in, in Daniil's case, but they've been on the top of the game and Daniil is still there. They are using Technifiber rackets, but it's still going to take a long time for Technifiber to be a household brand. It's not something people recognize or they, they don't see it around the clubs. The big dragons, Head, Babula, Wilson and Yonex, those are the, the guys, you know, and, and people see them all the time. I'm not saying they're better rackets because I, I don't really think they are there are many good rackets made from smaller brands but to actually have some market penetration is so difficult when it comes to rackets when it comes to strings it's a little bit faster process a little bit easier if you create a quality string i think solinko did a great job when they introduced the hyper g and the torbite so they got a pretty big following uh, through that because you can easily get string samples around people try it they're like okay this string gives me a, it's nice to play with gives me a bit more spin or control whatever you're looking for while rackets it's it's a pretty big thing also to test on a racket if you're a competitive player it's a big bigger process takes longer time getting used to it and also it's a lot of trust built into that part of the of the process because uh, you know testing a new racket playing with a new racket if you don't trust the brand or you know you're not going to be into it so I, i'm not surprised at all by these results actually yeah it's, it's maybe as well some of the smaller brands don't have the cash either to sponsor the big guys yeah yeah that, like, exactly let's quickly talk about selenko's you've tried them i haven't tried them i have an old selenko from a few years ago and which I didn't think was that good. But what's the the wideout and the blackout? What are those rackets like? They're they're good. I I wasn't as much of a fan of the blackout as I was of the wideout. I thought that had a better feel to it, a better impact feel. But I do know there's some players that really like the blackout. I mean, the the Bryan brothers are using a form of that, the longer version of of the blackout called XTD. So uh, it it the wideout is a very nice racket. I agree with you that the first Solinko racket I tried was some years back. Wasn't quite there. It wasn't like a bad racket. It's hard to say. It's usually a very personal taste. 
But it, yeah, it wasn't a great frame either. But the new white, I, I felt, was a very nice frame. Uh, 98 range, 1619, in that kind of uh, blade spec range uh, where you see a lot of rackets for advanced players these days. The blackout is a bit more of a pure drive, I would say. It's more 100 square inches, 300 grams for a wide range of players. Good power, good spin. Uh, but sometimes there's so many rackets, so it d- didn't really stand out to me in any specific way. So, And I'm always 100% honest in all my reviews, which is, is a requirement to actually have a, to do reviews in a good way. And, and that just didn't captivate me in any way compared to uh, some of the competition, while the white that actually had a very nice feel and, and good performance, I would say. And if you were developing a racket today, Jonas, how would you get it to stand out. Now, don't give me, don't give away your secret sauce here, but what do you think would be important for a racket manufacturer that's new? Let's say functional tennis, I, the Sabre moves into a hundred square inch head. It's not happening, but I was to do it. What would be important to help it stand out apart from playing really well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, the number one is the playability. It doesn't matter how it looks. Uh, obviously, looks these days seem to be quite important. You see some brands, when they do the updates, they mainly focus on the cosmetic. Like I, they need to produce a good-looking cosmetic. I mean, Wilson have done some great work on the cosmetic side of things recently with, with their kind of color shifting. So that's going to be important. I think arm comfort is something that the manufacturers have really understood is, is a big thing. If you're going to make, a, you know... A, a frame that sells to the masses because a lot of players have tennis elbow or similar problems and then they do get that usually from very stiff rackets or stiff string setups and not always only the rackets fault but it's obviously your technique or you know if you're overplaying or if you're not taking care of yourself but the racket being very stiff with a stiff string can have a bad impact so i would definitely look into that the comfort of the frame and then I try to find something maybe a little bit in between what is out there today, uh, because now it's very much like a, you know, a hundred square inch with a pretty thick beam. So I'd maybe try to find more like a speed racket, like Ahead did really well with their speed, which is their best seller, that they have like this lands in between a control frame and a power frame. And I think a lot of players like that. It's not too much of either side. It's very balanced. So if I would be to only produce, let's say, one model, I would probably look at something like the speed, you know, where it's it's pretty balanced in, in many aspects of the frame. I, I think that's what they've done a good job and not too much power, not too much uh, in terms of control. So you get a little bit of everything. Nice. I see the speed as a similar racket to the blade, roughly. Yeah. Maybe the blade's a little bit harder to play with, just a little bit. I could be wrong there. But how do you see the difference between the two? Yeah, the blade is 98 square inches, and you, you notice that there's it's not quite as forgiving as the, the speed, which is 100 square inches. So you have that bigger hitting surface, gives you more room for error and, and margin for error, a little bit more power on the speed. But obviously, blade is a bestseller also for a reason, because it's a very versatile frame. There's so many players on all levels using the blade. And now there's also a blade 100, which is more similar to to the speed. So I, I definitely, I think that they found that that niche where it's really suitable for such a wide audience, despite it not being ultra easy to use. But players like a little bit more demanding, a little bit more control. So I think the, the blade and the speeds are, are bestsellers for these brands for a reason, right? It's a bit like a race car, isn't it? To say the better yeah. drivers like a car on edge a little bit that, you know, they can get more out of that car, right? If it's too easy to drive, then it's it's not, you don't get the performance out of it. So it sounds 
a, limb, a little bit like that. Quickly, Prokenix, when I was away with you a few years ago, we were in last year in Germany testing what we added the shoes, but we were talking tennis warehouse. I remember them telling me that their Prokenix range is actually really, really popular. But they said it was their sales were, were good in it. They were like, it was surprising, but not going by its votes on our first round. Have you tried the Prokenix racket, which would be the, the Seppi racket, I think? Yeah, the Seppi one, I think he uses something older. I mean, usually the thing is that the pros use something different, but under the cosmetic of the new version, because that's how you sell rackets. Uh, but he's using something more similar to uh, to the most demanding model they have. And that's a nice racket for sure. I mean, that what makes Prokenix stand out is that they found a technology that is very different from the rest. Like they have these micro beads. It was like sand pretty much moving inside the frame. So you have four or more different chambers inside the racket head. And they move towards the impact zone when you hit the ball. So that actually alleviates shock from your arm. When you shake the racket, it, it sounds like a maracas, you know, uh, which is a bit funny. But when you actually hit the ball, you don't have any extra sound. So it doesn't affect how you play, uh, which could be very annoying because players are specific. But it, it's actually a nice playing racket. The, the Prokenics line, they make good rackets. Uh, could be a little bit of an acquired taste since you they have a slightly different field, sometimes a little bit higher swing weight overall due to the, the chambers and the micro beads. But great frames, and that one is, is quite demanding, the Seppi one. But they also have a, a you know a quite large array of other rackets. So, and their quality products. So definitely not surprised that they're selling since their their arm friendliness is so important. Interesting, yeah, the great product, but not sexy to to get the fans' votes. Join over ten thousand people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. And also some somebody else not making it out of the first round is as we mentioned, Technifiber. The new Mevdev's racket which was sent to me by Technifiber Tanks. It's actually a really nice racket. I thought it was a big improvement over any of the rackets and it was one I could nearly play with. I use a Radical normally, an old school Radical given to me by a ex-pro James McGee. So it's sort of my racket. It's a bit of a pro stock racket, but I thought this was actually one I could, you know, if I had to play tomorrow, I could slot in with it. No problem. I think they've done a great job. Yeah, no, Technifiber Frames is probably, I, I made a video about that on my YouTube channel, but it's probably the most improved brand, I would say. And they've really done a great job on their frames. I mean, they look fantastic. The cosmetic now, they obviously are owned by Lacoste. So they, they get some kind of style guide from, from that uh, powerhouse in fashion. But they also, the frames are, are very, very nice. And uh, I especially like their TF40, which is their control kind of blade style frame. I think that it's an excellent racket that many should consider if they're testing rackets. And I've, I've heard other people say the same. So they do great rackets, no, no joke about it, but still to get into the market and get into people's heads that they should try them, that's not always the easiest. So I think if they keep doing this, it will take some years, but they, they will get there in the end if they keep working like this because the products are good. Yeah, as far as I know, there's a lot of juniors using their products. So, you know, they're what between 10 to 18 so it'll take whatever 10 years for that to come true and then hopefully they'll see the success so who else we have uh, the, the Dunlops of the world the SX and FX again well they're a powerhouse I think in the racket world they've been around a long time but their, their, their product doesn't seem to have much penetration 
No, I think it's it's a bit strange with Dunlop because they used to be so strong, and the same goes for Prince as well. Like they used to be very strong. I think they made a, a stride in the right direction when they were partnering together. I'm not sure if Srixon bought them or how the situation is, or the owners of Srixon. And I think that was a good thing for Dunlop because the the products are better, the quality is better. They have some some good materials inside it, the BASF and, and stuff like that makes them the rackets feel nice. And I pretty much like all their uh, their lines. They have the CX for control, the FX for power, and the SX for spin. So pretty easy to remember. And they're all pretty much quality frames. Like they they have some great frames, but still, like you need to put them in the hands of players. I do see them in the hands of many juniors as and some profile players. So I think they are getting there. They're moving more through the ranks. They got Popper now as a sponsored player from what I've seen. And and they have some up-and-coming strong players, Miramir Kichmanovic, for example, another player. So if you have these younger guys visible on the on the TV screens or the streams where people watch tennis, I think there's there's a good chance that you actually sell more rackets. And I, I think they're, they're, they're getting there, but in, in a vote against a big brand like Yonex, it might be tough. You know? They've Jack Draper, who is going to be really good. So that's a good push. And I do have their yellow one, the SX one. I think it's an absolutely beautiful racket. Like it's really well constructed. Reminds me a bit of a Babolat. And I think it's really well constructed and quite nice. Yeah, exactly. No, it's a great frame. And, and I mean, like I said, Draper, Kichmanovic, Poprin, they I mean, they, they sponsor in the right way with young, promising players. Uh, so, I mean, if you just keep doing things right, I think good things start to come because there's definitely nothing wrong with the rackets. Nice. And how are Yonix looking? We have their E-Zone and their, well, I've put their V-Core Pro here who both made it through to the next round. They're always a, a popular racket. Unique, but popular. Yeah, the the isometric head shape, I think, is what either, you know, lures you in or or can be a detractor for some more traditional players. Like they can't gel with that the frame is a bit more rectangular up in the hoop. It, it feels strange. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the racket that I see a lot on the tours, the ESO 98 especially. I mean, you have players switching to that one. Uh, you know, we have Chapovalov even try it. He uses the V-Core 95 usually. Uh, but many players, like, I mean, they have good ambassadors like Kyrgios, Osaka, using the ESO 98. And it's a very popular frame on the club level. I see it pretty much everywhere. And if you you get good power, good balance of power and, and spin, and it's a very modern frame, I would say, like the Aero VS, kind of a modern player frame. And then the app, the Onyx are, have been doing great frames for a while. And I think they really are up in the, the top now of the, of the racket uh, brands. They're known for being the most, the frames are the most consistent, well-made. They The weight is quite, like the Japanese are just really good in the production side of things as far as I heard. Yeah, I, I think that there is, they're still leading the pack when it comes to quality control. Uh, I always measure swing weight as well. And, and, you know, they're not as good with swing weights as they are with, with the weight and the balance factors, which is what the quality guarantee is. But yeah, they're, they're the leader in, in the pack. And I, I'd hope all the brands would just focus a bit more on this because it's one of the biggest frustrations for a consumer is when you buy three rackets, you think you're done, and then they play very differently, all three of them, because the weight and the balance are so different. So uh, that's a thing that I, I think the, the manufacturers should, should try to focus more on. I know it's not that easy with factory variants, but I think there's uh, there's definitely something to be done there. Yeah, it's always, you know, when people say, they have three or four rackets like this is my favorite one this is my favorite one what what you got to do is send that racket and your other rackets to Nicky and Unstronger to your local customizer and say look find out the specs and that and match it and that's what you got to do 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's important. Uh, sometimes the, the matching can be difficult when, let's say you have three rackets and the lightest one in the, is the one you like, because then you have to remove weight from the other ones, and that's very difficult. But if you have a heavier spec and that's the one you like, it's much easier. Most people can even do it themselves with some easy training and learning on how, how the you know, lead tape applies and how that changes the weight and the balance. But yeah, it's the problem when the lighter one is the one you like, you know, then then the, the heaviest one might be impossible to get to that spec. And is that a reason why a lot of the, let's say the pro spec rackets, so when the pros get the rackets, they're weighed in at 280 grams, 290 grams, because they can then maneuver the weight on them. Yeah, exactly. So the, they, they get the kind of raw form of the racket, very light, so that a customizer or the company that, that sponsors them can customize them for them. So they, they just have that you know, service where they get rackets matched to a gram with the perfect balance and everything. So they don't have to think about the rackets. Uh, they already have to think about matches and winning and, and all that other stuff. So they just want to pick up the racket and it should play the same over and over again, no matter what racket they use. Some, in some cases, they still have favorites. Like even if the rackets are matched, they might still have a favorite racket because they're not all like perfectly the same, of course. Might be some small differences. And then when you've played with the racket a long time, the graphite fibers break down a bit. So the racket changes, becomes a bit softer. And then you might feel like, oh, this is my favorite one because that's the one you play the most. And then the other oh, yeah. one doesn't feel as good. So it's, it's always that as well. Yeah, they're not all like that. I hear, did hear David Goffin just uses whatever the the retail unit. He just grabs them, uses them, doesn't care. So it's it's kind of funny that yeah, n- not every player is, let's say, anal over it. No, no. It's, I mean, there are many pros that just pick up whatever, and then there are some pros that come into uh, like the stringing room at a tournament, and he's like, "Oh, I want to use your three in one machine, which is like the way you you measure swing weight, weight and balance." And he just wants to check his frames are perfect. Otherwise, he can't play. He can't focus. <laughs> the OCD, you know, is, is too much. So there are all kinds of, of, of players, you know. And then there are guys like Verdasco, for example, who who loves to test new rackets and test new rackets all the time. So he's more of like a turn, tennis nerd type of, of guy. So there are all kinds, even on the tours, uh, you see them. Nice. Okay, so next, we've, we've three left. We've the Bablot range, the head range, and the Wilson range. We work backwards from the winners in the past. So let's go with head, who have such an enormous range of rackets between with the, the speed, the radical, the gravity, the boom, the extreme. Extreme's another racket I've been testing lately, and I think it's really, the new one's a big improvement. It takes, you have to tame it a little bit, but... You know, if you put the right string in there and the right tension, it can actually be a nice racket with easy power and plenty of spin. But I'm surprised head don't get... Wilson always take them down, but I I think the head rackets are great. They are. Uh, The the thing with head is that they have so many rackets, uh, the different silos, as they call it, different lines of rackets. You mentioned, I think, pretty much all of them, like going from instinct, boom, extreme, speed, gravity, radical to prestige. So it's, it's it's a big lineup. But overall, I think in the last five years, they've improved their frames a lot, like similar to what Technifiber did. But Head has gone from, you know, starting out with this graphene material that was not liked by the, the racket purists in the beginning. And now they're, they really found a way to make the rackets play a bit softer, a bit better impact feel, which is what fa- Head was famous for back in the day. And now they have some excellent frames uh, actually in the lineup. And it's the difficult part with Head is that there's so many, so it's hard to choose, you know, that, that the choice can be a problem. And that's maybe something to think about. But they have their CPI scale, which gives you the power rating. So a thousand would be the most powerful and a hundred would be the least powerful. So that hopefully gives some guidance to consumers you know, which type of frame where they should be in the spectrum of head rackets. 
Yeah, what's the boom like? I gave it a quick go. I don't think I gel. I didn't give it enough time. I didn't really gel with it. The head shape's a bit funny, but what's your general feedback on the boom? I did like the boom. I think the impact feels very nice. It's a softer frame. I think if you you know looking for something that is not supposed to to be a trouble for your for your arm, I think the the booms are, are great. The Boom Pro and the Boom MP or even the lighter boom rackets. For some more advanced players, I think the string bed can be a bit erratic at times, like similar to what you get with a Wilson Clash. There's a little bit of a trampolining effect, which makes the racket more comfortable, but it also can be annoying for players that want that precision at every shot, you know? So you hit four good shots, hit, hit the fifth one, it's also supposed to be good, but then that goes out a bit, then you have no idea why. And I think that's something that happens with some rackets that have a lot of string movement because when the strings move a lot you obviously have a better you know absorption of the impact so i think uh, it's a very famous way to get obviously more comfort from your racket but it's also gonna not be so good for for very you know advanced players that hit hard or want maximum precision on every shot there's always some sort of compromise between comfort and control and power but do head of any new rackets coming out towards the end of this year, early next year? Yeah, there should be some releases early next year. I don't have exact dates, obviously, but the the next rackets due an update is the Radical and the Gravity. I'm not sure exactly which order they're coming out or the dates, but you know, early next year you should be seeing new new Radicals and new Gravity with this new technology they use called Oxetic, which I think was a good thing. I think this actually improved the the feel, especially of the speeds. I, I like the new speeds a lot because of this this update. So I'm curious about those new frames. I look for I'm a radical user. I didn't really gel to the, I know I used an older one, but I didn't gel to the latest radical for some reason. So I look forward to the next one. Yeah, so that, that, that's really exciting. The Prestige, still classic racket. They don't sell, uh, do they sell well? What do you reckon? No, I think it's the, the least selling frame. I think once you go down to these traditional rackets nowadays, when the game of tennis is definitely evolving into being more of a power sport, like it's so fast, everybody moves so dynamically, it's hard to get people interested in these frames that give you nothing for free, right? It's like all about the control and the feel of the frame. There are many racket purists out there still, but but compared to the mass, I think it's tough to sell control rackets. I, I think any brand would tell you the same. It's like, it's very difficult to get these rackets that were huge in the 2000s to, to do well now. Okay. And so, okay, moving on quickly to Babylon. We talked a bit about Babylon. Babylon seems to be always there. I know, what's team using these days? He's using the latest Pure Strike, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's using the Pure Strike uh, with some weight, uh, weighted up. It's not crazy spec. It's not like the heaviest racket you see on the tour. It's actually relatively manageable for for a player of his caliber. And uh, yeah, and he obviously can hit the ball as hard as anyone. So uh, it's good, good racket for him. Works well for his style. And then we have the Pure Arrow and the, the Pure Drive. What sort of players use the Pure Drive at the moment? The Pure Drive is very popular on the WTA Tour. It's one of those rackets that you see everywhere. Obviously, they use often older versions because that's what they got used to. It's not saying that the older version is better, but it's what they got used to. Uh, so they keep using that. But but it's such you know easy frame to use. Power, you get some spin. It's a little bit more for flatter penetration of shots than the Arrow, which is a very spinny frame. So that's how you you know differentiate the lines. With the pure drive, you have more power and more straight through the court power. And the arrow is a little bit more for players with more vertical playing, with more spin. They want to generate maximum rotations on clay, for example. Uh, so the pure drive is, is uh, yeah, is what probably their best seller still. But with the Rafa effect, I would say the arrow should be overtaking it. 
we'll see towards the next few days. This is our third year running this, and the past couple of years, the pro staff has won and beats the blade every time, 51-49 in the vote. And I think that's heavily based towards Mr. Roger Federer. Uh, that must be a big reason because I think it's one of the harder rackets to play with the pro staff. And it, I don't think it deserves to be the best racket out there, but obviously Federer gives it the backup. W- what are your thoughts on the latest pro staff? Yeah, it's uh, it's also, you know... I agree with what you're saying. Like it's it's the Federer effect. Like without Federer, I don't think the pro staff would be doing amazingly well because the pro staff is quite demanding frame. Like the head size is relatively small by today's standards, 97 square inches. The kind of standard model is the 315 gram, which is also a lot of weight on a frame these days. And you can get the 97 light, for example. It's a little bit more uh, maneuverable. And, but still you have that head size that is going to be unforgiving on off-center hits. So for me, it's surprising that it's always kind of topping lists. I think sometimes, you know, the Federer effect, So and it's kind of a traditional racket in a way. Pro Staff has such an iconic heritage on the tour, and that is kind of blacked out. I think people like uh, black frames without no maybe bells and whistles, so maybe it's a little bit of a, of a counter to more colorful ranges like from Babula or Head or or Yonex. So um, I think that's why it's, it's doing well. But to me, if I would recommend frames to players, I'd 100% go over the Blade instead of the, the Pro Staff. I think the Blade is a more, you know, easygoing, modern, well-balanced racket than, than, the, than the Pro Staff. No, I agree. And how nice are the latest night range of Wilson rackets? They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, they're they're very very nice looking. I have a blade in in the in the night editions. Yeah, it's they're they're nice frames, and they in the in the light under the lights of so the floodlights, uh, they look even better. Nice, yeah. I've I've a pro staff. Haven't used it yet, but it, it looks cosmetically beautiful. As then we have the ultra, which is another. I think the last few releases. I know the original ultras weren't great, but the last few releases have been amazing. Uh, when I say great, I mean they did. Do you remember they did the tin version of the ultra? The yeah, yeah. Monfi version it was sort of based on a H22 or 19. Was there an Ultra before that one? Yeah, Ultra has been around for a while. They're on the fourth generation and Ultra is the, the pure drive of the Wilson family. So this is the power line. And uh, now they have the version four. It was an imp- I didn't like version three. I was quite open with that. My review uh, was a bit tinny, a bit boring impact feel. Could be potentially not so great on the elbow because there was no dampening in, inside the frame. This one, they, they've reduced the stiffness a bit and added some uh, 45 braid, which which actually makes the racket softer. So it's, it's definitely a better frame, the, the Ultra 100 version 4. And I know players who look for easy power frames, light and easy to play with, should definitely consider this one because it's a, it's a much bigger improvement than, than I thought they would do. So, And also it looks great with the, with the blue-purple color shifting. That's beautiful. I did use the version 2 for a while. I thought that was a beautiful racket. That was a good, so I skipped the 3. So I have a 4 here again to test but can't don't have time to be testing all these rackets uh, that's your that's why we have you so what else do we have at wilson now obviously we have the the clash which is it's a bit of a, a racket for who could you say for most players for recreational players yeah it's a clash is is uh, took the tennis world by storm in a way i think the marketing campaign was amazing uh, in many ways, uh, so that that obviously that helps, but it's also the the arm friendliness of the racket. I think that is you, you can give this frame to a player with tennis elbow and and they will enjoy it because it, it is very soft on the arm. The flex rating is below sixty, uh, which means that it is arm friendly and flexes quite a lot. So 
usually when I recommend a clash to someone, I would say, hey, if you can demo, and this goes for any racket, demo first, give it a go, see if it feels okay, because even if one player loves a racket or a string, another player might hate it. So it's very personal. So it's obviously depending on your style, level of play, what you like in a racket, how you aim to play the game, and so on. So, um, But The Clash is, is, is a big bestseller. I think the downside is, is obviously that trampoline feel I, I, I told you about before. Like You do get the sensation that the ball wants to shoot out a bit further than you had imagined at times, and, and I would say that is the downside. But overall, it's, it's a great product, and I think for players with a tennis elbow, one of the best recommendations I have. And what racket? Do you think is going to win this event? Will it be the pro staff again? Or do you think Roger now leaving the game will slowly fade away like a prestige? I think the Blade version 8 it was a good release. I, I also think ESO 98 has swayed a lot of players this year. So I think those two frames should be high on the list or possibly a head speed. So those three I would probably put in my predictions i'm uh, not sure nice. if i can place any money on it but it's it's uh it, it yeah if wilson is it won last year they might have a strong following there that that might push them over but i, I something else than, than pro stuff i think well it's going to be an e-zone blade second so by the time this airs we'll have a winner between the e-zone and the blade so that's going to be interesting and you know last question you test all these rackets you've been playing around them for years What's your go-to racket and string? Oh my God, yeah, that's tough to to reply to. Now that I play these ITF Masters events, competing a bit for the first time in years, uh, it, it, you definitely notice that it's difficult to come in there with, with one frame. I published a video where I talk about going to a match with five different rackets in the bag. That was a bit of an experiment. Uh, in the end, I went with the Pure Arrow, which is not really my style of, of frame, but it, it, the new one, the new Pure Arrow is very good. And I wanted to test it on clay, especially. But normally, I would go with the, with a prestige. You know, I like the prestige. It's kind of where home is. Uh, so I have an older prestige that I use, uh, also called the PT57A in in pro stock lingo that I like. So uh, I think that is number one on the list. But I also like the old pro stuff, the six one ninety five. Uh, so these kind of old school rackets for an old school guy, still uh, topping the list. But I'm trying to get into the more modern frames now, uh, as the game gets more and more powerful. Nice. And finally, where, well, thanks for jumping on, first of all, but uh, where can our listeners, obviously, I'm sure most of them know who you are, but if, if, if those who don't, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, tennisnerd.net is a good start. I have a podcast as well where I talk a lot about the kind of gear and, and the industry as such, and uh, also the YouTube channel Tennis Nerd. So anything Tennis Nerd, you can just search for it in Google. Uh, you should be able to find it on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, whatever. So I'm, I'm all over the place uh, trying to share my passion for tennis and, and also knowledge about rackets and strings. Nice. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for that information. And I can't wait to see who wins this racket of the year. And if you haven't voted, head over to our Functional Tennis Instagram account and get voting and we'll see who the winner is. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm very curious. I'm going to follow it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Something a bit different and it's great to get insight into the latest rackets out there. If you have any questions, you can ask me or if you want a better answer, you best asking Jonas over at the Tennis Nerd and YouTube is a good place to start. Bye.